You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Small businesses are bracing for another hike in the minimum wage expected in just a couple of months. And while it will be good news for employees, employers say it will come at a time when they're already struggling with rising post-pandemic costs. Richard Zisman has more. As the food piles up at Jones Barbecue in Victoria, so do the costs. The margins are so small that you really can't continue to pass that buck on to the customers. And an extra serving is on the way. The provincial government is expected to announce the minimum wage is going up again on June 1st. It's good. Uh, people need a living wage, but it makes it hard to do business. The province currently pegs increases to inflation. BC's minimum wage was $12.65 per hour back in 2018, up to $14.60 an hour in 2020, $15.65 in 2022, the highest in Canada. And although there's been nothing from Labour Minister Haynes, inflation projections would mean a minimum wage of $16.45 per hour this June. One thing that the government can do is really be clear on business owners on what they should expect for June 1st. The province is currently reviewing the hike and will soon make a determination in terms of whether it will be pegged to inflation once again. The business community says that sort of increase could be devastating. Still around 20% of our own members are at that brink of actively considering claiming bankruptcy or claiming closure. So this really should sound the alarm bells to the B.C. government. The B.C. Federation of Labour argues there are already businesses paying well above minimum wage in this province, and they're surviving, especially considering B.C.'s high cost of living. The reality is for workers, it's long overdue. It's long overdue catch-up. Um, and that money doesn't go sit in a bank account. It doesn't go uh, sit in a savings account, or people aren't saving up to buy homes or, or things like that. Uh, those, that money goes directly back into the community. But no matter how you slice the wage increases, businesses hope government does just a little to ease the burden on them. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on this. Keith, how does BC's minimum wage compare across Canada? Yeah, as Richard noticed, we do have the highest minimum wage. All provinces are raising their minimum wages, but BC's leading the pack. Here's how we compare to the largest provinces going from a west to east basis. As Richard mentioned, we're at $15.65 in BC, uh, $15 in Alberta, $13 in Manitoba, or in Saskatchewan, $13.50 in uh, Manitoba. And you see Ontario very close on our heels, $15.50, and Quebec further behind at $14.25. Now, that's an hourly rate. If you start looking at it, if a person works full-time minimum wage in each province, the differences are even more stark. In B.C., an average minimum person earning minimum wage in B.C. working full-time, a 40-hour week, is earning $84 more a week than her counterpart in, in uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, the numbers in uh, Quebec, about $76, slightly lower nearby in Alberta, about $25 a week. So the numbers can be quite substantially different when you group it in much larger numbers rather than just an hourly basis. B.C. is leading the pack. And it'll be interesting if we do tie it to inflation. We could be way ahead of all the other Canadian provinces come this June. All right, we'll see what the province decides to do. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Well, businesses along the Broadway corridor are dealing with a more immediate challenge right now, the impact of subway construction outside their storefronts. Krista Dow is live on Broadway for us tonight, where a shocking number of merchants have already packed up and left. Krista. 
Yeah, Sophie, an unofficial account by a Vancouver business group pointing to a troubling trend. So far this year, we're already seeing more than one business closure per week along Broadway. Is it perhaps a bleak warning about the future of survival here along Broadway? If there ever was a sign that businesses along Broadway have been struggling, this may be it. What do I see? Release. Release. All empty businesses. Dozens of shops shutting down. In January, Neil Wild says he counted 40 vacancies with either for lease signs or were simply out of business. Two months later, he says that number jumped to 56. And that's not including all the businesses that are gone because of the station houses. There's more and more businesses with uh, for lease and papered up windows uh, than I've ever seen. Business owners not only having to compete with the constant barrage of construction along the Broadway subway line, but had parking taken away and then saw a major drop in foot traffic. I'm seeing anywhere from 35 to 55, up to 75% sales decreases. They're struggling uh, to get customers in the door because it's difficult to get there. It's a scenario playing out for Tara Shagan of Euphoria Yoga. First, navigating the challenges of COVID and now the Broadway subway line. Ever since then, we've just been really struggling to get back on our feet. We were able to get some drop-off pickup zones right outside, which has been helpful, but still not, um, you know, really great. And as we know, people are finding other ways to get around the city and avoiding Broadway. And oftentimes, um, there is, uh, I think, um, some space for us to be able to open up the parking. In addition to freeing up space, many say the province now needs to step in by way of financial supports, and the buck simply stops with them. They're wrapping up these businesses with lines of credit they took out or second mortgages. Uh, you know, it's the province at this point that's standing in the way. All right, Krista. Well, then, what is the province saying about all of this? Well, Sophie, the province says it will continue to work with businesses to mitigate impact, but uh, stop short of offering any financial or meaningful support for small businesses along Broadway. Meanwhile, though, the Business Improvement Association says without that government support, we'll see, continue to see more vacancies here along Broadway. Sophie. Krista Dow reporting for us in Vancouver. Krista, thank you. Now, if the Broadway subway woes sound familiar, that's because businesses along Camby faced similar challenges when Canada Line construction began in 2005. The line opened in 2009 in time for the Vancouver Winter Olympics. More than 100 Camby Village merchants began legal action that same year, seeking compensation. The case has taken many twists and turns in the courts and is still unresolved to this day with no compensation to date. Now looking at the positive, the Broadway project has hit another milestone. Just yesterday, a second massive tunnel boring machine nicknamed Phyllis broke through what will become the Mount Pleasant station as it works on building the westbound tunnel. This comes almost two months after the first machine, Elsie, broke through, which is building the eastbound tunnel. Nordstrom has begun liquidating merchandise in its six Canadian stores, including its flagship store right in the heart of downtown Vancouver. Furniture, fixtures and equipment all up for grabs. But as Amadagahi reports, shoppers say the sales are pretty disappointing. Almost instantly after news broke Nordstrom was leaving Canada, people marked this day on their calendars. 
Tuesday, a highly publicized liquidation sale had people lining up outside the doors. I'm not a rich guy. Just come here because it's on sale. Maybe some fragrances, maybe some shoes. We'll see. Only to discover the American luxury retail store isn't exactly offering up a fire sale. 5% off everything, pretty much. Five, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wasted my time a little. <laughs> no sales, no, it's not worth it. It wasn't worth my time. It's not that great. It, the, the prices are cheaper at Winners. I'm going to Winners. In fact, this was the case across the country. Shoppers flocking to Nordstrom for sales, but leaving empty-handed and disappointed because the discounts were maxed at 5%. The 5% is not worth it. Earlier this month, Nordstrom made major headlines when it announced it would follow the path of other American giants by ditching expansion to Canada, closing 13 locations and terminating more than 2,500 employees. That's kind of disappointing. They weren't here that long. Brick and mortars on its way out. A lot of people shop online. Retail experts agree. Canadians are shopping differently, and the closure of stores like Bed Bath & Beyond, Sears, and now Nordstrom show even large retail stores can hardly keep up. The traditional department store format that they operate in so does Hudson Bay and others, it's a bit of an archaic model. Despite Nordstrom initially pointing to slumping sales during its exit from Canada, Vancouver shoppers may not be to blame. To say that Canada is, is to blame for anything is completely fictitious when we have right here two of the, the best performing stocks and consumer sentiment right now are Lululemon and Aritzia. Meanwhile, those hoping for more than 5% off at the liquidation should be prepared to hold off for weeks, if not months, to see the sales percentages start to increase. Emadagahi, Global News. Vancouver police say a 47-year-old man has been charged after a vandalism spree in downtown Vancouver that caused tens of thousands of dollars damage. Police were called to Granville and Georgia at about 3.30 in the morning after reports a man with a hammer was smashing the glass at bus shelters. More than 20 panes of glass were destroyed, estimated at $30,000. Some of the witnesses who called 911 detained the man until VPD officers arrived. 47-year-old Sergei Kermanayev is charged with one count of mischief over $5,000. Well, if you are one of the 1.5 million people who live in Stratas in BC, there's a looming shortage that could affect your home. There aren't enough property managers to run all the condo complexes in this province. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, recent changes to the law are making a challenging situation even worse. More than 1.5 million British Columbians live in strata corporations, but finding people to manage those properties is daunting. There's an acute shortage of people trained to do the job. We could easily use two or 300 managers in the industry tomorrow, and it probably still wouldn't fill the gaps. In BC, there are 1,400 licensed property managers, but not all of them have active portfolios. For services, a large management firm says its data shows the industry is operating at about 50% capacity and anywhere from one third to one half of those left are planning to retire within five years. So we're taking an industry that is currently operating at roughly 50% capacity and we're at risk of losing another 50% of those strata managers overall in British Columbia. The government has made the job of managing property more difficult recently. Not only does BC require licenses, but mandates a lengthy training period. 
And while that does ensure high standards, it delays people starting. Recent changes to rental restrictions and the Tenancy Act are adding unintended complexity to the industry. We don't need intervention. We need cooperation. Uh, and we need the ability to be have a voice at the table when new initiatives like this come down the pipeline. Property managers deal with everything from emergencies and maintenance to navigating the legislation and dealing with strata councils. With so much on a property manager's plate, the industry is asking government for training grants, possibly even post-secondary training programs. It would be superb if through one of our you know, technical colleges that we actually had um, a very good program that would educate, train, and then they could ultimately do their licensing. While long-term solutions to the shortage are being addressed, over the next few years, strata councils may find it difficult to hire qualified property managers or may be forced into self-management, opening up the owners to significant liability. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An ambitious new festival is being proposed for Stanley Park. Mr. Bill the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival is already planned for other Canadian cities. The pitch to bring it here and the big names that could hit the stage next on the News Hour. This just re represents the next step in the evolution of our unregulated drug supply. What doctors are starting to see mixed into BC's illicit drug supply, the growing threat, and why it's so troubling later on the news hour. Plus, getting the dirt on artificial turf and why one community is now debating if the grass is really greener later. Right now, though, some out-of-town promoters have a pitch for the Vancouver Park Board, a comedy show that could draw tens of thousands of people to Stanley Park over three days. As Travis Prasad reports, if it's approved, the Comedy Fest would be the first big event at Brockton Oval in years. All right, Canada's biggest picnic. It's good to see you. It's already carved out a reputation in the comedy world. The Great Outdoors Comedy Festival launched in Edmonton in 2021. Last year, it added Calgary. We are officially sold out for this show tonight. This year, organizers want to bring the festival to several more cities, including Vancouver, putting forward a proposal to hold the three-day event this September here at the Brockton Fields in Stanley Park. I'd be excited to see what that turns out like. Capacity would be capped at 10,000 guests per day. Mr. Bill Burr! Big names such as Bill Burr, Amy Schumer and Jerry Seinfeld featured among the performers. Vancouver comedian Damon Schritter says the festival would undoubtedly create new comedy fans in the region. And then you'll start coming out to comedy. You'll be on your radar as something to do. And then this won't be such a no fun city. There's, you'll have stuff to do every night if you want. The Alberta-based organizers declined our request for comment. It's unclear whether local talent would get any stage time. I would hope that uh, the organizers would support some of the local comics by booking them as openers, and uh, sometimes that can work really well for local comics. Stanley Park has hosted large events. The now-defunct Skookum Music Fest took place there in 2018. In 2019, the park board suspended large-scale special events in Vancouver parks, pending an update to event guidelines. In December, the new ABC Majority Park Board lifted that moratorium, meaning new events can once again be considered at Vancouver's parks. On the surface, it sounds like a great idea. I mean, more comedy is always a good thing. The report will be presented to the park board next Monday. Travis Prasad, Global News. 
Well, the federal NDP transport critic is trying to streamline protections for air travelers. Taylor Bachrach says airlines are abusing loopholes in Canada's current regulations, so he has tabled a private member's bill to close them. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with the details. And Thanks, Sophie. Skeena Balkley Valley MP and federal NDP transport critic Taylor Bachrach points to the 42,000 complaints made by air passengers that are in front of the Canadian Transportation Agency right now. He's hoping by tabling this private member's bill, it will strengthen the Air Passenger Protection Act. Now, there has been plenty of chaos, as you know, around air travel, especially this past holiday season. Air passenger rights advocates have said the current air passenger protection regulations fall short and have failed to fairly compensate and refund customers when applicable. Often, the burden of proof is on the consumer and not the airline. Backrack says his private member's bill would bring Canada in line with the standards set by the European Union, which is considered the gold standard when it comes to protecting travelers. We feel that, you know, as long as the disruption is related to something that is uh, you know, within the ordinary operating control of an airline, um, then any disruptions or, or cancellations, um, delays, these kinds of things should be accompanied by compensation to the passengers. That's that's the goal here. I hope that lawmakers of all political stripes are going to acknowledge and recognize the merits of this uh, private member bill, which are exceptional. It does offer a solution to a long-standing problem that a government failed to handle. It creates a clear and simple system for eligibility to compensation, where airlines are presumptively responsible for compensation, and they can avoid payment only in the case of extraordinary circumstances, which are very narrow and exceptional cases, just like in the European Union. And lastly, it increases the maximum fines that airlines can be fined now, the federal transport minister has promised to table reforms this spring when it comes to passenger protections. Backrack says he hopes the minister will take a closer look at his private member's bill, take some of his ideas and stand up to the big airlines and come up with a strong government bill. Backrack says if the Liberals do that, he will absolutely support it. He says this is something that's in the interest of all Canadians who fly. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. Up next, protecting vulnerable Indigenous children. Too many of our families have been torn apart by a system that does not meet their best interests. The first steps toward changing the system and why a First Nation from Saskatchewan wants to start with B.C. Plus, new developments in the brutal attack of an international student in Kelowna. After a busy afternoon, traffic is eased off nicely in both directions here tonight at the Knight Street Bridge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Knight Street Bridge. A Saskatchewan First Nation has chosen B.C. to launch a wide-ranging consultation process into Indigenous child welfare. As Julie Nolan reports, the key First Nation is honouring one of its members whose death here in B.C. sparked more controversy over Indigenous children in government care. Today is the, the start of a, a long road ahead of us. A First Nation from Saskatchewan has come to B.C. fighting for improved safeguards for its children. We plan to develop a new law that upholds the ancient human right to care for and raise our children to be reflections of who we are, of our ancestors and our teachings. 
They've come here because of the death of 14-year-old Noelle Osoup in an apartment on the downtown east side. Her body was found last May. Slipping through the cracks of the child welfare system, she had run away from a group home in Port Coquitlam a year earlier. She was a member of the key First Nation who says they're outraged by how she was treated. With this process, we will do all in our power to prevent what happened to Noelle from ever happening again. The key First Nation says by pursuing its jurisdiction over Bill C-92 in effect two years ago, they can oversee child and family services in the best interests of their members. Although Osoup was in government care at the time of her death, the nation says it was not included in any correspondence or consultation. That's one of the challenges we faced with the Ministry of Child and Family Development was that they were not willing or able to share any information with our nation. They're starting a consultation process in Western Canada while also demanding answers and action from the B.C. government, the RCMP and Vancouver Police. To not only bring justice to her case, but also to seek answers for the wider issues. Vancouver police say the circumstances of Osoup's death remain under investigation and the cause of death is still not known. Her nation says her family deserves closure and it's time for the system to change. The government worked very hard to eliminate our culture. Now it needs to work even harder to help us to restore it. Julie Nolan, Global News. Well, police say they've now identified a suspect group in the disturbing attack against an international student in Kelowna. 21-year-old Gagandeep Singh was allegedly beaten, dragged by his hair, and had his turban removed and stolen. Singh suffered multiple injuries from the attack, including a concussion. He returned to the hospital a few days after the initial incident, as he hadn't been fully assessed. He discharged himself because he was super afraid of, you know, what that might even cost him, right? What the charges look like, right? On, on what it is. So he was literally at home. So we wanted to make sure he gets the medical attention that he deserves. Kelowna RCMP say the BC Hate Crimes Unit has also joined the investigation to determine whether there were any hate crime elements in the attack. Just ahead, turfing the turf. I, I think it's ridiculous that they're using turf in the first place. Now the cost of AstroTurf has become astronomical and the BC municipality getting back to grassroots. Also ahead, not safe for human consumption, the animal tranquilizer showing up in street drugs. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News, connect. Big delays for traffic on the Vancouver-Burnaby border. There's a four-car crash westbound on Highway 1 just past Boundary, and the right lane is blocked. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global 1, hype of a crash on Highway 1 in Vancouver. Langford has decided to let the grass grow, officially bringing an end to its short-lived artificial turf initiative. Originally brought in as a cost-saving and environmentally friendly alternative to real grass on city boulevards, as Kylie Stanton reports, it turns out it's neither. To turf or not to turf? That, that is, is the, the question. question. And it has the city of Langford divided. Grass. We want the grass. The turf. 
And why is that? I think it's easier to look after and it's green all year long. Definitely not turf. We live in a rainforest. Like, why would you not use real grass? In 2017, the city began laying down artificial turf along some of its boulevards, what was meant to reduce maintenance costs for the city and developers. But it turns out that hasn't been the case. It turns out to be more expensive in the end, and I feel like we ended up with carpets of it in areas where it's, it's not really suitable. This staff report breaks down the costs. Artificial turf, including installation, has increased 64% from $85 per square meter to $133. Sod installation, on the other hand, up 50% from $20 to $30 per square meter. Then there's the cost of maintaining it and the environmental impacts. In this day and age, uh, we are looking at using uh, natural products. We, we are ending the use of plastic in stores. We don't want to have plastic knives and forks and takeouts and so on. So why would you put it down in your boulevards? It's never going to dissolve or go away. Okay, we do have a motion on the On Monday, Mayor and Council voted to end the mandatory practice. All those in favor? Moving forward, the city will be using sod instead. A decision that makes sense from a landscaping perspective. I would go for grass all the way. We live in the Garden City, it seems weird to have artificial turf. The vote will only affect future construction. As for the artificial turf already in place. It has a life expectancy. When it's over, it will be taken out and the area will be rehabilitated with natural planting. It turns out, at least here in Langford, the grass really is always greener. That's uh, the way they should go. It makes more sense. I think it's awesome. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, it's used by veterinarians as a tranquilizer for large animals, but xylazine is starting to turn up in BC's street drug supply. The sedative has dangerous effects on humans and cannot be reversed by naloxone. A warning, some may find these images disturbing. Kristen Robinson reports. We do fentanyl test strips on every sample that comes through here. Opioids containing fentanyl checked at this free testing site, potentially laced with a dangerous new drug. While it's being detected in fewer than 5% of samples, xylazine, a large animal sedative commonly referred to as trank, is increasingly showing up in BC street drugs. One of the main concerns with xylazine, no one really knows exactly what it does to people because it's not for people. The numbers are definitely increasing over time. Get Your Drugs Tested has seen samples containing xylazine soar from 2 in 2019 to 92 last year, a 4,500% spike. I'm deeply concerned. I think it's inevitable. It's going to end up here. The US FDA has taken action to restrict the unlawful import of xylazine as it wreaks havoc on the East Coast's open-air drug market. Ah, you're not screaming like before. That's a plus sign. When mixed with opioids, experts say xylazine has unpredictable effects, including prolonging a fentanyl high, blackouts, amnesia, and heightened risk of overdose. It can also lead to these really um, aggressive uh, non-healing skin ulcers um, that are uh, quite difficult to treat and can lead to infections and potentially even, potentially even limb amputation. My leg actually looked like it got eaten by a zombie. Because it's not an opioid, naloxone does not work to reduce the effects of Trank. Guy Felicella, who's 10 years sober, is worried. Our response, he says, has not been able to keep up with the rapidly changing illicit drug market. It's just one more additive into an already deadly toxic supply that, uh, you know, will kill people.
adulterants like xylosine are tremendously uh, concerning. While the chief coroner says fentanyl continues to drive BC's toxic drug crisis, xylosine has been detected in a small number of drug poisoning deaths since 2020, its presence increasing almost seven times in two years. The supply is chaotic. Uh, it is not safe. Any use can uh, result in serious harm or death. Testing the drug supply, now more important than ever. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, to mark National Poison Prevention Week, Health Canada is launching a nationwide poison control line. The new toll-free phone number 1-844-POISON-X will be able to connect callers to poison control centres and get critical medical advice for poisonings. The federal agency says the initiative was launched to make it easier for Canadians to access poison control information, saying many Canadians don't know the number for their local poison control. Health Canada says more than 1,500 Canadians die each year from unintentional poisonings due to medications, cleaners and other household items. Coming up, iconic Montreal landmarks being recreated with a bit of nostalgia. The Lego sculptures gaining a lot of traction online for their unique style. And later... So I thought, uh, we have this, what do we do at the nighttime? Trading punches and punch lines, Vancouver's semi-secret comedy club and how it came to be. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News, connect. All right, let's check in with Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. Looks beautiful out there right now, Christy. Yeah, what a stellar day. Nice to have that for our first full day of spring. Certainly felt like it. And we had a few comments, though, about how hazy it is. I'm not exactly sure, but there's a chance it could be because of how dusty it is and through the interior. But I did have a look. The air quality health index across the lower mainland is at a low level, so it's nothing to be concerned about. It's just sort of causing a little bit of a dullness to our view out there. But it was certainly a spectacular day. Uh, looking at the dust advisories across the region, we have two new ones. One is the Southern Caribou region as well as the East Columbia region. Uh, we're not expecting an improvement in terms of those dust advisories until we get more substantial rain in the interior. And that may not happen until sort of later in the day on Thursday or potentially Friday. So uh, this will continue. And we've had outflow winds across the south coast. So that, as, um, as I mentioned, could be one of the reasons why it was a bit hazy across our area. Uh, for those of you in the interior, in terms of air quality health index, it's at a moderate level for a few of those regions that we mentioned. So if you have any health uh, sort of respiratory issues, it's recommended that you maybe stay indoors a little bit more than you would uh, normally or just don't do any out outdoor uh, exercise. We've got sunshine on the way for our region tomorrow. Maybe a little bit of instability across Vancouver Island tomorrow afternoon, so an isolated shower. Otherwise, a terrific spring day once again. It's not until Thursday that this next system shifts towards the south coast. The bulk of the rainfall will be along the coast there. We're not expecting as much for those of you in the interior, which is where we need that rainfall to help that uh, dust advisory. Uh, lots of sunshine, though, for your Wednesday. We'll see patchy fog through the morning in the interior and across parts of Vancouver Island, but otherwise double digits uh, with that sunshine in the afternoon. So 12 to 17 degrees for our Wednesday. Make sure you get out there and enjoy it because we've got much cooler conditions on the way for our Thursday into Friday with periods of rain. So indoor activities for the kids Thursday, Friday, but you should be able to get out there tomorrow, that's for sure. All right, here's tonight's central windows weather window. It comes to you from the Cypress Mountain uh, area. Now, uh, I wanted to also use this because the ski hills are still 
open. We've had a nice extended season, which is great. So Corey sending us that. Um, this was actually from the other night where there was a group of them watching the sunset. How spectacular is that? Mm -hmm. All right, so back to It's you. beautiful. Thanks, Christy. Mm -hmm. A Montreal artist is turning heads online with her miniature recreations of local landmarks. From the iconic orange julep to Montreal's famous Schwartz's Deli, artist Addie Parsons, better known as Brick-A-Block on Instagram, is building up landmarks entirely out of Lego. She picked up the plastic blocks during the pandemic, and since then, her projects have grown in size and complexity, taking hundreds of bricks and many, many hours to complete. But before snapping any bricks together, Parsons constructs the projects digitally. Capturing that essence in, in the form of sculpture and with a medium that people, people feel inherently excited to explore is sort of an interesting crossroads to look at from an artistic perspective. I, I honestly attribute my ability to do all of this to years of playing Minecraft. <laughs> Her Lego sculptures start at $600 and can go as high as $1,000. The thing that crossed my mind, Squire, is like when you accidentally step on a piece of Lego. Oh, that's not good. It's not good. No. I mean, her pieces are beautiful, but I hope <laughs> she cleans up after herself. Barefoot stepping on Lego? No. I'm not, not a parent, but I've heard many parents get that injury. That's a parent injury. It's a parent injury, That's yeah. A parent of young kids For sure. Injury. That and head colds. That too. Yep. Yeah. But I have to say, Lego has got to be one of the greatest toy inventions of all time. Oh, yes. It endures. One of the greatest. Classic. Okay. So yesterday, we talked about Quinn Hughes. Today, Quinn Hughes talks about himself, saying he's no longer just an offensive defenseman. Me personally, I think I've been playing really strong defensively, especially since Christmas and on. Um, last 40 games. Yeah, his game has more dimensions to it now. He believes his future will include Norris Trophy discussions. Also ahead tonight. From Fight Club to Funny Club, secrets out about Vancouver's newest performance venue. BC is proud to partner with the 2023 BC Winter Games. Join Global News March 23rd to 26th for daily coverage from Vernon. The 2023 BC Winter Games in partnership with Global BC. Now we're talking about kids' toys because Lego was the classic, but there are many others too. Yep. You uh, used to uh, bake desserts for your family yep. with an easy, easy bake, bake oven. Yes. No one would want to eat them, but... Well, it's, uh, it's true, but... <laughs> All right, go ahead. It is amazing what you can make with a light bulb, isn't mm -hmm. it? Um, tonight, the Canucks are home to Vegas. Two teams who have been playing great of late, 8-2 and two in their last 10, both of them. Demko starts against probably Jonathan Quick, who's kind of revived himself since he was traded to Vegas from L.A. Now, yesterday, we heard from Rick Tockett telling us how Quinn Hughes has become more of a leader on the Canucks and is an elite defenseman. And today, Hughes talked about Hughes. And you can hear he's a more confident young man, one who does feel he's not that far away from being a Norris Trophy candidate defenseman. I feel like my game's really good right now. Uh, I mean, 
Um, I'm proud that I'm plus and I'm playing a lot of minutes and defensively I've been trusted against the top lines and you know anyone that says I'm a defensive liability frankly doesn't watch me play at this point so I'm happy with my game and of course with those uh, awards like you have to be on a team maybe that wins but um, I feel like I'm right there with a lot of the guys for sure. That is new defenseman Philip Horonic at Canucks practice today. We haven't seen him since he was acquired from Detroit because of an injury, of course. But Rick Tockett thinks he might be able to play Thursday against San Jose at Rogers Arena. He certainly is happy to be a Canuck. Exciting group, a lot of young guys, uh, a lot of veterans here. So pretty good mix, uh, and I'm exci excited to be here. Now, you won't see it under the helmet tonight, but Andre Kuzmenko is rocking a new hairdo. It's a bit shorter. It's a little more aerodynamic. He thinks it'll help him skate faster. Change, put the nice one on for the yes. camera. Well, yes, yes. Looks good, looks good. And the yeah. haircut looks good as well. Yes. You like it? I do, I do. You've got to cut because you want to be faster. Yes, yes. I need to speed. <laughs> All right, the uh, man the Whitecaps brought in to replace Lucas Cavallini now has to be replaced himself. Sergio Cordova is out six to eight weeks with a hamstring injury. He suffered that last Saturday in Los Angeles. Now, he hasn't scored yet for Vancouver. He hasn't looked up to speed. A bit of a disappointment so far, but it's early. However, with this injury, Vancouver will need Brian White to find his MLS scoring touch. And he needs to find it quickly. And the Whitecaps also have to have some others fill in for Cordova as well. Some other players will have to step up uh, as a number nine in the rotation. Because at the moment we were just him and Brian. So maybe we'll have sometimes Daho play as a number nine. Maybe we'll have more chances for our young guys like Simon Becher. So, you know, uh, the, the bad uh, news for someone can be transformed into good news for someone else. Over the years, Manny Sobral has been a fixture on the Vancouver fight scene, both amateur and pro, stretching all the way back to the 80s when he was an Olympic boxer for Canada. He uh, hasn't just boxed himself. He has worked with countless fighters over the years looking to make the big time. And Rhett Gibbons is another one that Manny has worked with. Getting in the ring can be one of the most intimidating things for a person to do, but what they get out of it can be invaluable. The rewards I received from being successful in boxing early on in my amateur career, it was like something I had never experienced before. And it showed me like I'm able to achieve things that are worth something to me. So I decided to put the time in to get more of that. Rhett Gibbons is now putting in time to get ready for his next big fight, March 25th at the Grand Villa in Burnaby, not far from where his boxing career began. I used to show up to school with like broken hands and black eyes and I went to this place called North Burnaby Boxing Club because he's like, if you want to, you know, find out if you're really tough, you should go fight with these like fighters, you know? And I was like, all right, bring me. And he was like, okay, well, you know, this guy that you're going to meet, like he's an Olympian, he's like a champ, you know? And I'm like, who is he? And he's like, Manny Sobral. When Rhett first came into the gym, he was like a toothpick. He was a tall, skinny, 140-odd pound guy. He's now 6'2", 164 pounds, and he's still getting pointers from the great Manny Sobral. The 1988 Olympian is a former IBO champion of the world, and he's kept one foot in the ring by passing along his knowledge to BC's next great boxers. Being able to slip and slide away from punches or pulling punches, it's something that really excites me, and why give up on something that you like doing? 
Manny will be in Rhett's Corner this weekend, and so will Empire Boxing, the promotions company that's looking to build the sport back up in BC and recently signed Rhett to a two-year agreement. It gives the fighters confidence to actually follow and pursue a professional boxing career. You know, if you just have a promoter doing a one-and-done type situation, uh, they can't quit their jobs, they can't do anything to really uh, pursue a boxing career and have confidence that it's going to go far. At 2-1-1, one one, this next fight is crucial in Rhett's professional career and preparing for the bouts takes a full commitment. You just have to believe in yourself and be there, even if you have to show up alone. If this is what you want to do, that's what you have to be ready to do. There's a lot of fighting at the end of this show. Not between us, but on the screen. Well, I hope not between us, but there's no. still a few minutes left, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if we annoy each other. Uh, it would never happen. Up no. next, trading punches and punchlines at Lance Hansen's Cabaret. The comedy club where you can get a workout in, too. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. Well, we told you earlier tonight about a proposal to bring a huge comedy festival to Stanley Park. Now, a story about comedy in a much smaller, although somewhat surprising venue. As Jada Rant tells us on This Is BC, Lance Harrison's cabaret is gym by day, jokes by night. It's boxing fitness during the day at All City Athletics in downtown Vancouver, but on some evenings they're trading punching bags for punchlines. So for those of you that don't know about the types, you're a B. <laughs> Offering a little boost to the city's nightlife. <laughs> Starting with some comedy shows on select weekend nights. Because we're kind of secret, you know, it's sort of a little more special. It's like hard to find us, which is bad for business, but uh, good, <laughs> good for the vibe. This new comedy club is called Lance Harrison's Cabaret. Here's the man himself. Named after co-owner Jordan Bauer's grandfather, who is well known on the local music scene with his Dixieland band. He was active from like the 50s to the 80s. He was a gregarious character. He was, you know, like kind. He was a musician. It was really like, and this was his city. He didn't go anywhere else. <laughs> Harrison was inducted into the BC Entertainment Hall of Fame, performing in clubs all around Vancouver. Some stories where he'd be like, oh, we're playing here, we got a 15-minute set, and he's like, hey, we're going to rip out, we're going to get a bottle of gin, we'll come back. And that was, I think it was, you know, that was part of the vibe. It was very much like we're swinging, we're playing tunes. Boxing classes are still the main focus at All City, but there are plans to expand the entertainment program by hosting live music nights, reminiscent of a different era. I would love to see like a little hi-hat and a snare, uh, horn on mute, maybe a little bass. You know, the acoustics are wild in here. The walls are stone. Harrison passed away in 2000, but his legacy lives on with a new club that bears his name in an unlikely venue supporting performing arts in the city. Man, I think he'd be down. I think he'd be stoked. I think he would say, you know, get a couple of cocktail rounds, uh, maybe a little drapes, and um, yeah. Yeah, I think he'd be down for sure. Jay Durant, Global News.
And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And what did you say, Squire? At this place, you can laugh. Laugh till it hurts. Laugh till it hurts. Exactly. It's a gym thing. It's a gym thing. Well, and a boxing thing, too. <laughs> All right, final word on the weather, Christy. We've got a great day on the way for tomorrow, so make sure you get outside and enjoy it. 17 degrees away from the water, much cooler on Thursday. So plan some indoor activities for the kids uh, as we head towards the end of the week. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. Good night, all.